When it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Uh, for all of this rain and um, really just the, the life, I think, that it signifies, uh, the cleansing that it gives us, uh, the fullness that it brings. And Lord, I pray that we would uh, be competent interpreters of the signs of the times, that we would know what it is that you're doing so that we can worship you and walk into that. And so I pray that today would be a great start to that, and that we would uh, have some fun, be open and honest uh, to talk and discuss some things today. And it's in Christ we pray. Amen. So, if you're new, uh, the first week we talked about culture, and then last week we talked about kingdom, which is a lot about what Darwin talked today. And I promised that we would start to get a little bit practical and actually work out some of this stuff. But I wanted to say one thing first, and hopefully it will put this into context a little bit. Whether you've figured it out or not, what we've been talking about is worship. The goal of being a missionary is not the common good. It's worshiping the Lord God. And even though we spent some time talking about a secular age... The truth is, is that there is no secular. There is no neutrality. We are always worshiping something. And that worship is loving God and communicating something to him, but it's also creating a vision to other people. And it's communicating a life worth lived to other people. And it's also forming you. And so what we're going to do today is um, look at this work worship service. And what this worship service does. And hopefully it will be easy to, easier at least to look at and understand what its character is. Try to imagine what uh, a worship service is, what the Bible says about worship services and those kinds of things. So that we can start to have more of a rhythm to our lives. So that when we go to work, Monday through Saturday, that we have more of a liturgy to our day. And as we do that, that that would communicate a vision of life, inviting people into the kingdom of God and forming us more into the image and likeness of Christ for our good and the good of the world. So if you have one, you can grab a worship bulletin and we'll start looking at it. This comes from Van Hooser's book that we talked about. It's in the back. It's, these are his 10 steps. And I've tried to ask some questions to guide us through it. Uh, it's just a really easy way to get around this. We're going to try and understand personality and character and get a full, thick description of a worship service and talk about it in relation to other worship services. So let's start with the bulletin. What about the, the picture on the front? Does it say anything to you? Do you pay attention to the picture on the front? It changes from time to time. It's, it's about Pentecost. So there's a, a church calendar portion to this. Uh, 
I'm asking what you, I'm asking your description. As you walked in today, describe your experience of walking into church today. Someone handed you a bulletin. Why did someone hand you a bulletin? To greet you. That's exactly right. We hand these out to greet people because what? We want it to be a welcoming place. But we probably didn't always do that. What if we didn't hand these out? What if we didn't hand out bulletins? What if we... um, And when I was growing up, I was in an Episcopalian church, and you would always just grab the Book of Common Prayer. That's how we went through things. How does that, if you, this helps people get through a service. Helps them engage in the service. Helps them engage in the service. If you don't have it, how do you know what to do? You have to come a lot. You have to be here over and over again. So we're trying to, first thing we're trying to do is create a welcoming environment. This is, as you said, an unchurched person would know what to do. They would be forced to talk to somebody that's here and say hello. And they would have an idea of where they're going. They have some things to look at. As you open the page, there's a quote. How is that different from an encounter at another church that doesn't have a a bulletin like this? They project it onto a screen. You don't, but they usually have greeters out front. You can. Yeah. They didn't have a handle on the plate. Okay. And for me, that was really, real different. I mean, the music was beautiful, but it was, I didn't know how to handle it. It was so different. Sure. So I felt out of place a little bit. Yeah, there's a, uh, especially when you're in a, a denomination like PCA or Episcopalian, it's helpful to, to know what you're getting when you go to other churches around the country. It's, I mean, there's a reason that the Catholic Church does that. If you're Catholic, you go to a Catholic Church, it's pretty much the same all across the world. And you know what to expect. You know what to do and how that works. And that is, gives you a picture of, of how big the church is, right? That it actually is this worldwide thing that we are, the body of Christ, connected to one another. What about the building? What about... The way that what if what if this were in a circle instead of like an auditorium style? Would that feel weird to you? I really love this. This uh, I really love this building, but I will tell you, and I've, I've been to churches in lots and lots and lots of places and lots of different kinds of churches. To the unchurched, this building was very intimidating. Intimidating. Okay. It's very beautiful and it's very worshipful. Okay. Is anybody else intimidated when they first came here? Anybody the opposite of intimidated? Feel really warmed and welcomed? Typical church building, kind of what you would expect? Yeah. It's, uh, you can see classical 
Yeah. And I think you get... Yeah. I, I like the windows a lot, the high ceilings. Uh, I, the first thing that I noticed when I came in here was actually the window, the stained glass window, uh, and how the cross was on stained glass. Normally, uh, the stained glass in churches I had been to that had stained glass were kind of on the sides, and then you would have more of a wooden cross on the front or something like that. I always find it interesting what people decide to put up front and how that works. And I think to your point, my experience here, and I, I think it's one that's on purpose, is it's, we're trying to get that mix of a more contemporary feel, but also latching on to a particular tradition. And a lot of that is related to, I think, what you were talking about, is that if you go, if you're not aware of the people that are coming in, uh, and that they might be intimidated by a very, very traditional or formal service, um, you, you may actually scare people away. But you try to invite them in with greeters. You try to invite them in by having things that they might be familiar with to know what exactly is going on. There is a sense, though, that there's something other about this building. It's not just your everyday office. Yep. Totally. That's important. Has anybody ever gone to church in like a movie theater or a gymnasium? And we used to do that. And it's, I, mean, I think everybody rejoices at a point when you get to a church building. But this goes both ways. I mean, there is a, a real beauty to having a church under a tree, uh, of, particularly in a place that doesn't have a lot of churches, that there's holiness in that that you can pick up and have a group of people and administer the sacraments and have a pastor there. But it, there's also very much something to, hey, this is a, a special place. What about the robes or lack thereof here? Has anybody noticed that, that we choose to not wear robes? Does anybody have an opinion on what they like or don't like or what robe? Does anybody know why people wear robes? Yeah, authority, the holiness of what you were talking about. The different colors, so you work on a church calendar. Uniformity, like private school. Yeah. Does anybody else notice anything or notice anything particular when they come in and describe their experience? I know that my time here, I I love Sundays here. Uh, It it is a very worshipful experience. I find it to be very warm-hearted and a place that really does fill me in many ways for the rest of the week and for a lot of reasons. Yeah. That when they're in front of the congregation preaching, I really love the fact that they have on different clothes. Like yeah. And, and I know that sounds silly, but I, I tend to like, for me personally, mm-hmm. the, and, and I, like I said, I've been to lots of different kinds of churches, but the, the guys who get up to 
trees looking like they're going to go mow the grass, you know, with the flip-flops and all. And I know it's silly. I mean, guys, I'm just telling you, I know it's silly. But it's like you wouldn't dress like that to go meet the President of the United States. Sure. You wouldn't dress like that to go on a business. I mean, you know, we all know how to dress for business. We all know how. And, and it, it, it is such, it, it's a distraction to me, to be honest with you. And I know it's silly and superficial. But I, somehow I want to be able to come in and know that I have put forth the effort to, to give God as much of respect as I would to someone that I was meeting for business. Yeah. So let's think about this. So we've talked about here trying to describe, okay, you get in, somebody hands you a bulletin, it looks a certain way, it has a picture, you're in a building that's designed a specific way, people want it to look a certain way, they're, they're trying to form you and do something. Some of those are personal preferences, what people wear, that sort of thing. There's certainly a method to that madness. Now, let's think about an everyday thing. You go to the mall, and what kind of worship experience and liturgy that is like. And consider what people are wearing and what people look like and how the whole thing is oriented so that you will buy something. That they too have greeters or at least a map when you walk in so that you know exactly where you're going. And then when you walk into a store, if you've ever worked in retail, there's somebody that's there that wants to guide you along and take you there and show you everything that you need to know. He's starting to see how these kinds of liturgies permeate into our everyday life. We have rhythms of our life. We get up and we have morning routines and then we go to work and we do certain things at work. And those liturgies are forming us. If you get up and wear a suit every day to work, it's going to be a little bit different than somebody that doesn't get up and wear a suit every day. And you can see that a little bit in personalities or maybe even generation gaps. Guys that are my age don't wear suits a lot. And they're a little bit more free-thinking, free-wheeling. And that that affects and forms how they think about God and the kingdom. We're going to do what Van Hooser calls looking at the world behind the text, the world of the text, and the world in front of the text. The world behind the text is uh, the author, the historical context of the text. If you were watching a movie, that would be where who directed the movie, who wrote the movie, you would know if it was a Spielberg movie, for example. And Spielberg has movies about kids and aliens and those kinds of things. And you would expect something different than from another director. The world of the text is the, the vision that's being displayed, uh, the story that they're trying to tell. And then the world in front of the text is the kind of people that they're trying to envision. So, uh, creeds and hymns gives a little bit of historical context to the worship service. Does anybody know when they wrote the Nicene Creed? Does anyone want to take a guess of how old it is? 325. That's exactly right. So we're talking 2,000 years ago, people were saying these creeds. So it's not just, we talked about last week, I guess, that one of the reasons we say creeds is like parenting your kids. You say the same thing over and over and over and over again, so at some point they might actually listen to it. But we're connecting ourselves to a tradition that isn't just 
Presbyterian. It isn't just American. It's actually historically Christian that goes back all the way to the church fathers. And similarly with hymns. What about the sermon? Sometimes we have different links for sermon notes. Have you ever been to a church where it's just sermon notes? There is no guide to what's going on? If you went into a church and someone handed you, hey, here's the thing, and it had Acts 1 and Darwin's name and then just the sermon notes, and that was the only guide that you had, everything else was projected on the screen, what does that envision for you of what this worship service is like? Yeah. Yep. Maybe perhaps a, an intellectual exercise that you're here to learn. Uh, Brian talked about that at a church, uh, church plant meeting one time, a lecture hall versus a banquet hall. And that if it was a lecture hall, and if it feels like a lecture hall, if it's designed like a lecture hall, then you're going to intuit that the reason you're here is to learn things. But if it's like a banquet hall with a feast table that's here out front in the middle, that is absolutely repeated every single week, that people are invited to, that that's going to change the worship experience. It changes the vision of what this is trying to be like. And it's unique in many ways. You don't find this encounter or this structure at a lot of places other than a church. How is the, the service structured thematically? Has anybody noticed that? What do we do every service? We have an invocation. We have a greeting. It starts with the time of reflection, and then Brian or Darwin says, the Lord be with you. And you say, and also with you. And then we sing. And then he invites the Holy Spirit. Prays. And we sing the doxology. And then we confess our sins and we sing of repentance and we're assured of forgiveness. We are enacting the gospel every Sunday. That when we walk in and we spend time here for an hour or however long it is, you can forget, and if you're like me, sometimes you do, and everything that's being said up there. You had a bad day. I had to get up really early and drive here from out of town. 
and sometimes you just can't pay attention. But even if you're not paying attention, you are enacting and living the gospel in your confessions and in your songs and being told you are forgiven and then you come and you eat it and you drink it. Know that in some way you are either living or not living the gospel on a daily basis. That's what this is about. Trying to imagine and look at what you're looking... Being able to look at the world around you and say, what am I worshiping? What am I orienting my life around? We talked about how culture communicates, that it reproduces, that it reorients you. And a movie is, very, is a very easy example of that. You know that when you sit and watch a movie, you're trying to go into somewhere. You're trying to go somewhere else. Be in a part of somebody else's story and orient yourself into that story. And sometimes you just want to turn your brain off. And that's great. And you just want to be entertained. But other times, you may actually want to engage. What is this person trying to tell me? What does he want me to believe? Is he trying to change my mind about something? I was listening to the radio driving up here, and there was a pop singer talking about how pop music is, you can send messages out through the the radio waves. And they go really far. And you know what she was writing a song about? This is not a joke. Her email inbox. She wrote a pop song about how she's on the road so much that her email inbox is like her home. That she has no place to stay. And that when she... And so she feels like if somebody is getting into her email inbox... Or when Ed Snowden says the NSA knows what's in your email. So this is an invasion of privacy to her. More (laughs) that would be worse than if someone came in and into your house and stole your things. Now that sounds crazy. But it sounds less crazy if you think about how much you check your email, how much you're on your phone, how much your devices know about you, how much information you put in there. It is our, we have a home screen, it is our home base, it is the thing that we look at the most. She's on to something. But we know that that's not the way that things are supposed to be. Our lives are are not lived in our email inboxes, thank God. But oftentimes, we're living as if they are, and we're not recognizing it. And we're going to talk about method next week. What do we do with this? How do we have a response that's... And and we do this intuitively. I look at my phone too much. This is not news. People understand that that happens, and so they try to have a response. But oftentimes it's lost. We don't know what to do, or we feel like we can't, because it's become such an integral part of our lives that we can't do our jobs without it, those kinds of things. But as we continue to do this, I want you to keep imagining and thinking about how your life every day is like a worship service. There is no neutral. There's no objective, I'm just living my life, and there's nothing else that's affecting me or forming me or how I'm doing that. That doesn't exist. You're communicating a vision of life to the world. You're worshiping, loving the Lord God or not. 
You're either worshiping the creator or the creation. And it's very complicated. And it's very nuanced. Because email inboxes are not bad. They're great. They connect us to people. We can do tons of work, lots faster than we used to be able to, across the world, for the good of the world. But when a small concern becomes an ultimate concern, it becomes idolatry. And that's what this is. That's what cultural liturgies are about. That we take great, normal things, the good that God has given to us, and because we are created in the image of God, he actually mandates mandates us to take care of them so that we might look more like him and participate in bringing in the kingdom. But we take those things, those good things, and we make them ultimate things. And then we become idolaters. And we do it all the time. And we intuit it, and it affects us. It affects us a lot. And we talk about these things. The phone is an easy one. Facebook is another easy one. Oh, i got to get off Facebook. None of you are getting off Facebook. Why? Because it's not all bad. Instagram's a favorite one of mine. Instagram's really great. One of the reasons that it's great is it shares things with you. They're very pretty pictures, oftentimes. They're beautiful things. But Instagram is also the ultimate comparing your vision of your best life with somebody else's. And if you don't think that that affects how you buy Christmas presents and how you get dressed for church and how you think about who you are in Christ... You're not thinking like a worshiper. Because we are responding to these things. The world in front of the text is imagining a projection of the way that human beings should be or could be. We could be connected by technology. We could be made beautiful by advertising. And we could do that a lot with social media. And those things are good. Beauty and truth and connection. Community. Body. These are things that we want. But when we make those things the ultimate things, we miss the point. Why? Because the ultimate thing is Jesus. That he has ushered in the kingdom. And he's invited us to worship him, to participate in that. Not just Sundays, but Monday through Saturday as well. And we can love God in our work. We can love God in our parenting. We can love God in our lives. We just have to practice. We're always practicing, but we're not paying attention to what it is that we're practicing. And if you think about it this way, I'm going to use a sports metaphor because that's what I do and I like sports. There's a difference between just being a football player and being a Dallas Cowboy. Or just being a, or being a Dallas Cowboy and being a Pittsburgh Steeler. That there's a, there's a, and what do they call it? What does Jason Garrett call it? Creating culture. We have a culture around here that to be a Dallas Cowboy is to be a certain kind of football player. 
I was watching a documentary about a basketball team, the 1989 and 90 Detroit Pistons. And when somebody came in on the team, Bill Ambeer sat that guy down with the rest of the team and said, this is how it's going to be. This is the kind of basketball we play. These are the kind of guys that we are. Hard-nosed, bad boys. We don't take it from anybody, we put it to them. And they established an identity, a way of living. We're not just people, we are Christians, we are followers of Christ. There's a way to our lives, an identity that we find in Christ, that we desire and long for. Not just here, but outside of here. And this is the place where we're enacting it, where we can start having that picture. Because we're able to see these things through the lens of Scripture. Does that make sense? All right, let's keep going. Number four. Determine the powers served by the cultural text. Uh, Advertisers, in case you don't know this, many of them are not very interested in the fact that you have a great life. They kind of just want to take your money. And if you want to... One helpful way to interpret cultural things is know who's being served by this. There are... There's relationships... There's social, community, but there's also institutions. And those institutions matter, and they're trying to to do something in particular. Um, What do you think the metaphor of this place is? Is Is it a family of people? We have a church plant. That's a metaphor. We're planting something somewhere. But this one's more established. Some people call, have called their churches missional communities. You think, do you think we use metaphors or have kind of a pervasive metaphor that's here? Body of Christ. See, we're doing good. No, that's a great one. When you're doing this, and I've, I've tried to set this up to where we're not doing a lot of background info because you don't do background info in your daily life when you're encountering different things. But we want to be as comprehensive and thick about these understandings as we can be. And I, I talked about this on the first week and just said we can't just write off hard things in life as, oh, this is just sin, like generic sin. Yes, it is. But it's bigger than that. Is there anything else that you have found in your experience here particularly meaningful or something that we may have missed pointing out of the vision that this the vision of life that our service communicates? Okay, when you walk in, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you don't have to, you don't, it's really hard to get lost 
because of it. I've been in churches where you walk in and like you have no idea where to go. Even if they're small. You know, it's we're in the gymnasium and you're like walking into the school, you're looking for one person. Yeah, fellowship, body, family. Yeah. And when we they come into the service and we're welcomed in, we sing, we pray, we hear the word, all those things are leading to the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. And yes, we can generally say it's the gospel, but we can also specifically say uh, we're being led in one specific area to understand something. Yeah. Doing it through each of those things together. And I think that's so refreshing for me because uh, I've, I've seen so much. Yep. Where each part is just separate. And like, you're the guy that does this, and this is the you know. And I feel a lot more led and a lot more uh, led by that. So I like that. And I'm going to transition here as we have five or so minutes left. Um, of what it looks like to be intentional, deliberate in everyday life. We're talking about liturgies, habits, doing the same thing. Your, your daily routines are oftentimes helpful, especially getting up and going to bed. What you do at work is generally the same, I and mean, you can change a little bit of things. But um, does anybody, can anybody think of what the Bible says about how to have intentional, an intentional way of life, what we call those? There's a name for it. Disciplines. That's exactly right. They're spiritual disciplines. But when you think about when we think about spiritual disciplines within this framework, which is God made you in the image of God, the, all of creation is a shadow of its former self, but has been redeemed in Christ, who is ushered in the kingdom, and is inviting you to participate in renewing all of creation because of what he has done. Does that change for you your idea of what spiritual discipline is supposed to look like? When you are thinking about it from a standpoint of worship, I always thought spiritual disciplines was a way of working harder. Jesus paid your debt. He earned your right to go be better. Honestly, to be a leader, Dr. Ferguson says, 
We want all our kids to be leaders, but we don't want any of them to be servants. But spiritual disciplines are a way of worship in our everyday life. When we pray, when we read, when we fast, when we give our money, what are we doing? We are acting out. God is sovereign. God is real. I want to be formed in these ways. We are saying our creed so that we can believe them. But oftentimes, those, that kind of virtue is only helpful when it's done in community. This is why we have small groups. You're practicing virtue, you're practicing those disciplines within a community of people. Because oftentimes, that virtue is going to be based a little bit on where you are. Living like an American in Africa is not a good idea. Your community affects where you are. But I want you to think about, and we'll pray because it's 1045, how the spiritual disciplines can affect your worship Monday through Saturday. Not so that you can be better for Jesus, but so that you can worship him. And what it might look like as a group of people to do that. To have a way or a rule to practice together. Not unlike working out or running marathons or having a play, putting together a party. There's a way to do those things. We behave a certain way within a community of people to make that happen for our good and the good of the world around us. You with me? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for um, how much love that you have for us. Father, that we cannot describe or fathom the goodness and mercy that you have given to us in your son, Jesus. And I pray that it would fill our hearts with goodness, with joy, with desire to be near and close to you as worshipers. To live life in a way that you have made it to be and not being deceived or confused or distracted. But being wholly focused on you. Being in love with you. And letting that love change us. So Father, help us walk into that. Help us put skid and bones on being in love with you. All the days of our life. And it's in Christ we pray. Amen. Thanks, guys.